Hey, we are in week, what week are we in? Six of Armor Up, all right? Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter six, and then set your Bible down on the chair, stand up. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand up. Open your Bible up to Ephesians chapter six. If you have the NIV 1984 version, you can read it from your Bible, but here's what we're going to do. Oh, permission slip, nice. Um... We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 out loud together again to start our night off, okay? So if you have uh, the NIV 1984, you can read it from your Bible. If not, read it up here with me so that we all are reading the same thing. Read it with gusto, okay? Read it like like you own it, like it's yours, like you believe it. Read it with conviction. Are you ready? Let's go. Finally. Keep going. Good job. Stay standing. Stay standing. You were all reading the same thing, um, but you guys sounded like the echo of these guys. At least you were together and you were together. That was a good job. All right. Stay standing for a second. Let's do a quick recap. Who gives us the armor? God. God. Whose armor is it? God. And whose strength do we stand firm? God. Uh, who are we fighting against? Spiritual forces, okay? Who or what are we not fighting against? Flesh and blood. How much of the armor do we need to put on? How much, or when do we take it off? Never. Never. All right, you guys can sit down. Good work. Uh, Good job, you guys. That was good. That That was with conviction. Um, I hope that these are becoming uh, convictions for you. I hope that you believe what you're saying here, okay? And not just repeating things from memory. I hope that they're becoming convictions in your life that guide you and direct the way you live. Tonight, when you go home, you should do this with your parents, okay? Ask them these same questions that I just asked you. And then open up Ephesians chapter 6 and read verses 10 through 18 with them and then talk about it. It should make for a really good discussion if you initiate that with them, okay? Okay. 
Remember, as we've been going through this series, we've been adding pieces of armor each week. And since we don't ever take the armor off, what armor then should we already have on? Yeah. Belt of truth. Okay, what does that do? Holds up the robe. What does it do for the, for the spiritual? Yeah. The sandals of readiness. The feet fitted with the, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's talk about the belt of truth real quick. What does the belt of truth do for the believer in the army of God? Do you remember? Yeah. Holding things up with truth, right? Remember, what you believe is how you behave, right? Believing in the truth and behaving and behaving according to it. Uh, okay, what's next? Yeah, Maddie. What does that do? Protects your heart. Okay, what does it do for the believer? Yeah. That is the shield. What's, what does the breastplate of righteousness do for the believer? Yeah, Tristan? It guards your heart, right? It guards your heart from unholiness, right? Okay, and uh, Brandon, you said feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What is that? What's that do for the believer? Do you remember what we talked about for that? Who do we have peace with? Peace with God? Peace with man and peace in the midst of battle, right? Because of the gospel. Um, what else? What was the one we talked about last week? You said it. With the flaming arrows. The shield of... Say it out. Faith, the shield of faith. What does that do for the believer? You remember Lydia and I stood up here and shot at Nick? Would it? Yeah, go ahead. It quenches or extinguishes the fiery darts of doubt and temptation, right? Biblical faith finds protection in the promises of God through the person of Jesus, right? That was our tagline last week. All right, so we have on the belt of truth, we have on the breastplate of righteousness, our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we've taken up the shield of faith, what piece of armor is next? Yeah. Verse 17. The helmet of salvation. Right, okay. Um, Here's a couple pictures of a Roman soldier's helmet back in the first century. It's pretty awesome, right? So you can see um, <clears throat> it was made of metal. Sometimes it would have like a leather cap that it was worn uh, underneath it. You can see that in the pictures here, it's got metal plates that cover his cheeks. And, uh, and then around the backside, it's got this, it's elongated metal, another plate to cover and protect his neck, right? Um, so his head is fairly well protected. All the vulnerable spots are fairly well protected from it. Why is it so important for a Roman soldier to have a helmet on when he's heading into battle? Yeah. 
so he doesn't get shot in the head? Right. To protect his head from fatal blows, right? Uh, the helmet, it protected the soldier's head and, and where it was so easy to, to like, one blow, okay? If, if I got hit in the arm and I'm fighting, somebody's sword came down and hit me in the arm, it might, it might incapacitate my arm. It might, uh, could sever my arm, I guess, but um, it would hurt my arm. My arm might be rendered useless, but if that same blow came across and hit me in the head, I'm probably going to die, right? Because the head is, is a very vulnerable place, um, and so if he's going to take time to put on the breastplate and guard his vital organs in his, the core of his body, why wouldn't he also take the effort to, to guard his communication center, right? If the heart, uh, if you think of the heart as like pumping the fuel or the, the blood through your body to help everything work, your brain is like the communication center. It's like the computer that sends the signals out to make everything function. Both of those are important things. Both of those have to be working in order for you to live. You need to protect them. Right? Um, If a person's arm stops functioning, will they live? Probably, right? If if the person's brain stops functioning, will they live? So you want (laughs) to... Hooked up to a machine, that is no life, okay? Um, Can we all agree that it's important to guard your head in battle? Okay, think about it for for a second. What other things in our culture today, in the here in the twenty first century, what other things do we use helmets for? Football, Football. baseball. What else? Lacrosse. What did you see? Oh, motocross. Yes. Hockey. Lacrosse. Four wheeling. Bicycle riding. Dirt biking. Skydiving. I actually had that one on there. Yeah. Are you, huh? Oh, you had an itch? Yeah. Wrestling has headgear, yes. Military, right? Our soldiers wear helmets, don't they? Anything else? Nothing else? Let's see if you, if you hit stuff. How about hard hats for construction workers? Right? Uh, whitewater rafting, rock climbing, NASCAR, right? Skateboard, okay? Why would we have so many different helmets for so many different scenarios and, and situations if we didn't think protecting our head was an important thing to do, right? We value our heads, don't we? It's important. We got to protect it. Can you imagine a football player putting on all those other pads and then lining up against the opposite team without his helmet on, right? What's going to happen to him? Concussion. He's going to go out of the game very quickly, right? I brought a helmet with me. You guys know what this is? Right? What'd you say? Oh, astronauts. They wear helmets. It's pretty awesome. So this is a fire helmet, right? And... um, I'm on, the, I'm on the volunteer department in Goodfield, and uh, no, that's not why I said that. Um, so, but look, this is a very important piece of equipment that we wear, okay? It's got a flip-down visor here to help protect my eyes. I have goggles in the back here that I can pull out and hook up to, to help, also help protect my eyes. It's got this flap here in the back that protects my neck and my ears from heat, 
When you go into a burning building, if you're on the floor, uh, between the floor, if you're down on your knees, you can stick your hand up, and, and just in that amount of space, there's probably about an 800-degree difference, okay? So this helps keep my head protected from heat. It helps keep my head protected from, if you're in a burning building, things are going to be falling, right? Things are going to be breaking down and falling apart. So it helps keep my head protected from hard things. That, that hurt. Um, and also it has this, kind of like the Roman soldier's uh, helmet, it has this, this elongated part in the back here. We spray water on fire, Right? And so uh, a lot of times you're in there, it's wet, it's hot, you have things falling down on you, including water, and that water is uh, heated by the superheated air, and you don't want that going down into your suit, right? So that's what this, this lip is for. It directs the water back off of my head and away from my neck, so it goes down my uh, gear instead of inside my gear, okay? It's important. Now, listen. What would happen, would it be smart for me to put on all my other gear and leave this sitting outside when I go into a building? Why? Right? It's important. It's important that we guard and protect our heads. Okay? It doesn't make any sense to guard everything else and leave that one thing wide open and vulnerable, okay? If putting on a physical helmet is necessary to protect our physical head, then how much more necessary is it that we put on a spiritual helmet to protect our minds from Satan's attacks? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, okay? It's, um, Paul tells us in Ephesians six seventeen that we need to put on a helmet in the armor of God, and that is the helmet of salvation. But in order to understand why this piece of armor is necessary for us, we need to understand why and how Satan attacks our minds. How many of you guys play a sport in here? Raise your hand. Okay. Have you ever had an opponent, uh, and this works best if you're like one-on-one or you're up close to, to your opponent. Have you ever had an opponent get in your head? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I play basketball on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, and, uh, and it's a friendly game, but, but there's some, some razzing going on, and, and uh, it's real easy if you go down and, uh, you know, take three or four shots and you miss them, and the guy that's guarding you kind of chuckles a little bit or is like, man, I can build a house with all the bricks you're throwing up and things like that, you know? It just like, it just, you know what I'm saying? He kind of gets in your head, and, and what does that do when they get in your head? What, does it help you? How many of you get better when somebody starts to get in your head? Anybody? Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Okay? It messes with you, doesn't it? And you get angry and you start to... A lot of times, I don't know, for me, I play worse. All right? Uh, and, and so every time you make a mistake, they let you know about it. And, you, and eventually, you kind of start believing what they're saying, right? And like, man, I really... I'm bad at this. I shouldn't play this anymore. And, uh, and all it does is make you play worse, which makes him say more things. And you go round and round in this downward spiral of self-destruction, right? One of Satan's favorite things to do is to try and get in your head. He wants to mess with your mind. Your mind is one of Satan's biggest targets. And Paul understood this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning... Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The ESV says it this way. It says, I'm afraid that your thoughts will be led astray. 
Dr. David Jeremiah, he's an internationally known pastor and author. He writes this in his book called Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. He says, the enemy is constantly at work trying to wear down our defenses and corrupt our minds with temptation and rationalization and false teaching. Anything to confuse our thinking about God and his purposes for our life. And then he says, our mind has to be guarded every moment to ensure that Satan does not slip in and plant seeds of carnal or sinful thinking. If Satan can plant seeds of carnal or sinful thinking in our minds, he knows that our minds then will be quick to water those seeds if we're not protected. James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, his own thinking. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You see, we don't need much help sinning. We are sinful by nature. Our minds are prone to wander away from God, not toward God. Satan's fully aware of this, and that's why his focus is, uh, he focuses much of his attacks on trying to deceive us into doubt and discouragement. We, we talked about doubt last week. God wants you to believe in his promises. Satan wants you to believe in his lies, and the only way that he can get you to do that is if he can get you to doubt God's promises and God's truths. And so he lobs these questions of doubt at you, those flaming arrows, right, the fiery darts, hoping that one of those will, will hit your mind or your heart and cause you to question God's goodness and love. Ultimately, Satan wants you to doubt God's identity, and he wants you to doubt your identity in Christ. If he can get you to doubt either one of those things, he knows that that will lead you into discouragement. He wants to get in your mind. He wants to get in your head. And, and if he can get you discouraged, then he, he knows that when you sin, that instead of running toward God for deliverance, you'll run away from God into destruction. Satan is dead set on trying to destroy you, first of all, and he's dead set on trying to destroy the assurance that you have that you have been saved by God's grace and that that grace is enough to keep you saved. He wants you to think that your salvation depends on you, not on God, and that every time you screw up, you have to work that much harder to earn your salvation back. But listen, here's the thing. You never earned your salvation in the first place. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ's work, not by trusting in anything else that you've done. The gift of faith is given to you by God to believe in him, and it's his work alone that saves you. Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'd encourage you to go home and read that tonight or later on this week. We need to remember that Paul's talking to believers here in this letter to the Ephesians, people who are already saved by grace through faith. And so when he says to put on the helmet of salvation here in chapter 6, in verse 17, he doesn't mean that the helmet is salvation itself and that we need to be saved after we've put on all these other pieces of armor. Instead, Paul says, when he says uh, to put on the helmet of salvation, he's talking about the assurance of salvation that every believer has. First Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9 says, but since the, we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, as believers, we don't hope the same way that the world hopes, right? 
We don't wish for something to be true while at the same time we're, we're really unsure if it actually is true. Our hope is not wishful thinking. It is certainty in the truth. Our hope of salvation is not wishful thinking that someday we might be saved. Our hope of salvation is certainty that we are saved from every past, present, and future sin by the blood of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And it's certainty uh, that we're in a war that's already been won, that our victory is in Jesus Christ, and, on, and, and one day he will come back and put an end once and for all to the conflict. And we'll remain on the winning side because he has saved us and sealed us as his own by placing his spirit in us. Isaiah 12, too, reflects the mindset of the believer who has full assurance of his salvation by God's grace. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Can you say that? The person who, that can say that with conviction and with certainty is the one who is standing firm in the power of God. But if we're honest, it's not always easy for us to, stay, uh, to say that with conviction and certainty, right? Even though we're supposed to keep our armor on, sometimes we let our guard down and take the helmet off for a minute. In fact, some uh, historians would argue that that was the downfall of Rome when the soldiers began to uh, be lax on their armor. They were the premier army. They were, they were unstoppable, and they started to leave their helmets behind and not take up their shields, and, and they left themselves vulnerable to attack. We stumble in sin, and we forget that it's already been paid for, and we start to feel like we need to do something to earn back God's forgiveness. Have you ever felt that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? And when we do that, we leave ourselves open to damaging blows of doubt and discouragement from the enemy. Remember that Satan is very good at exploiting our weaknesses. He will always try to rob us of our assurance of salvation, the certainty that we have. But he can never rob us of salvation itself. If you're truly saved, Satan can never, ever Take that away from you. I hope that's encouraging to you. Uh, in John chapter 10, we're told Satan's motives. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. In that same chapter, we're told of Jesus' power to save us. John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Satan can damage you with doubt, but he can never steal your salvation. He can't snatch you from God's hand. And as a follower of Christ, you need to know that. I want you to repeat after me. Should be up here too, all right? Salvation is a fact. Is a fact. Assurance, is a Assurance is a feeling. One more time. Salvation is a fact. Is a fact. Assurance, is a Assurance is a feeling. Now, our feelings fluctuate. How many of you, um, with uh, when Monday when it was rainy, were kind of in a bad mood, and then yesterday it was like super sunny and it was awesome, you're in a good mood? Anybody? 
I totally felt that way. Just wanted, I went to bed really early on Monday night because I was just done with that day and, uh, and woke up early on Tuesday because it was a fantastic day, right? Our feelings fluctuate, but our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. So how do we equip this helmet then of salvation and keep it on so that it protects us at all times? We do it by renewing our minds. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians in this same letter in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. This is a mindset. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, sin, with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Knowing and believing in Christ alone for our salvation should change the way we think. In fact, when the Bible talks about repentance, the original language conveys the idea of uh, that of, of changing one's mind and one's heart. We, we feel remorse for our sin, and we reject it in our lives, and our desire is to turn away from it and to turn toward God. Paul says that we are uh, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put off our old self. And to put on the new self, to clothe ourselves with Christ, to put on the spiritual armor of God. At the end of Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about how many people live lives as enemies of the cross of Christ because their minds are fixed on earthly things and not on Christ himself. He says that their destiny is destruction. Now, if you're a believer in here tonight and before... Uh, you hear those words and, and, and you let your guard down and you start doubting where you stand before God. You need to know that there's a difference between fixing your eyes on sin and temporarily losing focus on God. They're two very different things. Those who have their eyes fixed on earthly things, on sinful things, uh, are destined for destruction because they're focused on sinning as a way of life. That is their master. That is their God. This way of thinking is what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as being conformed to the pattern of the world. Remember I said uh, earlier that we don't need help sinning. We are sinful by nature. The pattern of the world is rebellion against God. It's sin as a way of life. They've fixed their minds on and hearts on sin. There's no repentance, no changing of the mind and heart, and therefore no salvation in their lives because they have no desire to turn from their sin and to turn to God through faith in Christ. But if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, and your mind and heart are fixed on Christ, 
through repentance, and yet there are times that your sinful nature creeps in and temporarily takes your focus off of God. Even as followers of Christ, we still have sin in our lives. But the assurance of salvation that the helmet provides us is that when we do lose focus in sin, we know with certainty that Jesus' blood has already covered that sin. Remember, he died once for all. That means my past, my present, and my future sins are covered by his death, by his sacrifice. He doesn't need to die again. We don't, we don't use that certainty, though, to continue in sin because our minds have been changed, right? We're not fixed on sinning. We're no longer conformed to the patterns of this world. We've been transformed by the renewing of our minds. Sin is no longer the main focus or the main desire. Christ is. Sin is only a distraction from our focus on Christ, and we recognize that through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and we turn from it and fix our eyes back on Christ. We put our focus back on Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. On our own power, we will never fix our eyes on Jesus. It's only by the power of God. When we set our minds and our hearts on what Christ has already done for us, And what he's going to do when he returns, Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 1, that that this is how we stand firm in the Lord. This is is the language that Paul uses uh, all over the place. We stand firm in the Lord, in in the Lord and in his mighty power. So some of you sitting in here right now or or when the podcast goes up and you're listening to the podcast, some of you haven't had a a change of, of mind and heart yet. Your eyes are not fixed on Jesus. You don't have the helmet of salvation because you don't have the helmet to put on. You don't have a helmet to put on. God gives his armor to the believer in Christ, the follower of Christ. And so if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you have no armor to protect you. You're completely exposed. And when you're completely exposed in the middle of battle, what happens? What waits for you? Death, right? The one that has no armor is usually the first one to go. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, the helmet of salvation serves as assurance for those who believe in the name of the Son of God that they indeed have eternal life in Christ. Their salvation is secure no matter how much Satan tries to damage them with doubt. Believing in the name of the Son of God doesn't mean that you, ag- uh, doesn't mean that you agree that Jesus was a real person in history. You're not just believing in Jesus as a historical figure. It means that your mind and your heart have changed, have turned toward him in repentance, and your focus is no longer on your old sinful way of life, but instead it's fixed on a new way of life in Christ. A renewed, repentant mind is one that agrees with God and what God says about himself and what God says about you 
in his word. You agree that God is perfect and holy. You agree that God loves you. You agree that you're a sinner separated from God and his love. You agree that your own efforts and good works cannot save you from your sin. And you agree that Jesus died on the cross for your past, present, and future sins. And that he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life with God. If you believe those truths with conviction, with certainty, if those are the things that you are focused on, then you found salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. When you believe those truths, you're agreeing with God, and when you agree with God, that shows evidence of a renewed mind that leads to life change. Listen, without Jesus, you will have neither the desire nor the power to change. You will be conformed to the pattern of the world, which is sin and death. You can only put on the helmet of salvation after you've received salvation itself. You can only put on the armor of God after you've joined the army of God. And you can only join the army of God by putting your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. So are you in agreement with what God says about himself in his word? Are you in agreement with what God says about you in his word? Is your mind conformed to the patterns of this world and fixed on sin, or is it renewed and focused on Christ? Without the armor of God, we don't stand a chance against the enemy, but with the armor of God, you can stand firm in the strength of God who loves you and who sent his son to save you. So put your hope and your trust in Christ alone for your salvation and take up the armor, put it on, put on the helmet of salvation and be assured that you are saved when you believe and that nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. If you do that tonight, will you you do me a favor? Will you let me or one of the leaders know? That's something that that needs to be celebrated and and it's something that's worth thanking God for and and, and we would love to do that with you and help you take some next steps so that you can Put on the full armor of God and have assurance in your newfound faith in Christ. Salvation is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. And while our feelings may fluctuate, our salvation is secure. As believers who have our minds and hearts fixed on Christ, we need to put on the helmet of salvation and keep it on so that our minds are regularly, daily, hourly, minute by minute renewed and protected from the distractions of doubt and discouragement that the enemy uh, loves to attack us with. And when we do that, we can stand firm in the certainty of our salvation in Christ, and we can stand firm in his mighty strength. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us this armor. Thank you that you have uh, given us a way of salvation that we could never... Make that we could never create on our own, that we couldn't, we can't work out our salvation. Thank you that you've given us your son and that he's paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future, and for all that believe in him and agree that that is the only way that they will be saved. That have a renewed mind and a changed heart that's focused on you, no longer on our sin, but on you. 
that we are held tightly in your hands and nothing can remove us from that. God, would you help us to have that assurance of our salvation? For those in here that, that are following you and have put their trust in you, would you help them to see your protection in their lives? And that when they sin, I pray, God, that that would, uh, would not be something that they turn and focus on, but that they would see, they would be made aware of in their lives, but that they would know and trust that you've taken care of it through your son Jesus, that they would not desire it, but that they would turn from it and run towards you and continue in endurance and in standing firm in the, in the Lord and in his mighty strength. We love you, God. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word that encourages us, that equips us, that causes us to grow, to be more like you. Continue to use uh, this passage as we wrap up next week, this series. Continue to build that conviction in our lives that we need to put on the armor of God, that it's not anything that we do uh, by our own works. You, It's your armor. It's your strength. You've given it to us. Would you help us to put it on and keep it on so that we can stand firm? In Jesus' name, amen.